Hello, my name is Ray Montgomery, and I'd like to welcome you to the Navigating Blindness podcast. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about White Cane Safety Day, which is October the 15th. And to celebrate and honor the White Cane, we brought two of our mobility specialists on the show today to really talk about the importance of the White Cane and how the White Cane symbolizes independence for individuals who are blind or visually impaired. Well, I want to start with you, Daniel. How long have you been working here at Bosman? What is your current role at Bosma Center for Visionary Solutions? Yeah, so I've been with Bosma since January of this year, so right around 10 months now that I've been able to work here at Bosma. And I am an orientation mobility instructor, so teaching people how to use the white cane and navigate and travel around Indianapolis. And I also help out with teaching Braille and assistive technology. All right. Cynthia, how you doing? Good. I've been here since uh, it'll be two years on December 20th. And in addition to teaching blind people how to use the cane, I can prepare them for dog guides. And as you know, Ray, being able to travel independently is a big part of one's self-esteem. So I get to help people build up their self-esteem by teaching them how to travel independently and get on with their lives. Sounds good. Sounds good. So since we're celebrating the White Cane for White Cane Safety Day, uh, what does, I'm going to start off with you, Daniel. What does the White Cane symbolize to you? That's a great question. And I think it's really important because as a blind person myself, um, the White Cane to me symbolizes not just independence, but freedom. I think they kind of go hand in hand together that um, prior to my life using my white cane, I've been blind my whole life and was kind of against using it for a long time, really tried to focus on just using residual vision to navigate and get around and um, kind of fake it till I make it, if you will. But when I began using the white cane, a lot of anxieties went away, a lot of doors were open, and I started realizing how much I had limited myself in life prior to using my white cane. So not only does it give me independence to do the things I want to do when I want to do them, but it also gives me the freedom to go above and beyond anything I thought I could do in the past. Uh, one thing to that, I'd like to add inclusion. I think the white cane symbolizes inclusion. When people can go out and be with their friends or go out and get a job because now they can travel independently. Yeah, that's the key thing right there. So you touched on something very important. So how important is uh, cane travel and learning to be able to travel independently for a person who is blind? Well, most people, when they lose their sight, they, uh, they stop their physical activity because they're afraid. A lot of people gain a lot of weight because they're not getting any kind of exercise. So um, the cane, it really changes all that. Definitely does. It definitely does. Dan, you have anything to add? Yeah, I just I think that by learning how to navigate and to travel, like Cynthia said, people don't know how they're going to do it. They're scared and they have that fear of the unknown of what's out there and the cane is that connection to the world in front of you before you're able to use your eyes to look out and see what's ahead and when you lose your vision you don't have that anymore but that cane becomes your connection to the world to let you know what's ahead whether it's an obstacle a step down a step up what it might be but it, it gives you that information that connection to the world now definitely true you said something about fears and i know a lot of people once they lose their vision sometimes you, you are hesitant to travel you know, by yourself because you don't know what's out there. You know, you know, the unknown is always scary. So talk about um, how do you help individuals overcome their fear of traveling independently, you know, crossing city streets and things that you have to do if we want to be independent at the end of the day. 
Well, Billy? all of us, even though we have different techniques, we always teach this, the skills sequentially and we introduce really simple ones first. We'll work indoors and teach different cane techniques and then ramp up to more difficult environments and outside. In the beginning, we might, after they've had a couple weeks of just basic skills, uh, we might take them to a residential neighborhood and start showing them how to navigate that kind of environment. Then after that, we'll take them to a small business district and have them uh, use the cane to help them avoid sidewalk furniture and posts and traffic poles and um, parking poles. So, okay, so how do you, well, how does a person who is blind, how do they know when to cross the street? I know I'm just asking for people that may be listening. How do they know when to cross the street? That's going to be, um, you know, always the go-to when you're crossing the street is going to be that near parallel traffic, that surge you hear from the near parallel. Um, but depending on the intersection, you know, traffic might present differently. There might be, there's a couple different techniques and ways that one can use the sounds of traffic or the lack of sound of traffic to determine when it's the safe time to cross the street. Um, and that's like Cynthia was saying, we kind of build on where we're not going out and crossing, you know, major six, seven, eight late intersections to start with, but we're starting off with learning just the basics of, you know, walking straight down the sidewalk, listening to traffic that way, because everything translates to the next step. You know, listening to traffic as I walk down the sidewalk is going to translate into how am I going to use that traffic to assist me in walking a straight line across the intersection. Uh, so we really try to make sure that we're connecting all these puzzle pieces together as uh, someone progresses through their program. So what are the different types of uh, cane techniques that people who are blind use? I know it's uh, two-tap, but what are some of the different techniques um, that you teach individuals who are blind? Two-point touch, which you just referred to, Ray, I usually only do that in the very beginning because it's not the safest method. Um, if someone is walking on, in an area they don't know very well, they really need to have the cane tip down on the ground all the time. Two-point touch is good for teaching people how to coordinate their steps with their cane movement, but once they've done that, I go on to other skills like constant contact. And I um I teach the uh, the constant contact uh, two point touch where you're tapping the cane on the outside of your arc on each side. And then I also teach different techniques like shorelining where we're tapping the wall or a curb or a grass or whatever it might be um, each time we swing to the left or right. Uh, depending on the side of our body are on, then another technique called tap and drag where I'm tapping the shoreline, um, dragging into it, but then tapping out of it. Just helping my cane tip not getting caught up on any of the foliage or trash or dirt, whatever it might be, against the curb or the grass line. And then uh, for some students, I teach kind of a hybrid between constant contact and two-point touch, which is called tap and slide, where I'm still doing similar to the motion of the two-point touch, where I'm tapping on, on the outside edges of my arc but I'm also using my forward momentum to slide the cane forward, slide the tip forward. So I'm still getting that tactile feedback of what is the texture that I'm walking on. Is it smooth like cement? Is it rough like asphalt so I can tell between streets and driveways? So the tip's not spending as much time on the ground, not causing it to get caught up as much. I also teach uh, one technique called the diagonal technique. It's a beautiful technique for inside of a building that you know pretty well. 
And that's when you, you keep the cane tip right at the wall where the floor hits it, but you hold your cane arm a little bit away from your body. So your arm works like a spring so that you won't run into people with your full body force. But this technique is good for in, in our building because if they're using two point touch and they're going left and right and left and right with great force, every time they hit a door, somebody jumps. So the diagonal technique makes that unnecessary. How do you teach individuals who are blind to travel via bus and, you know, get themselves back and forth to the store or even back and forth to work? What, what kind of uh, techniques are taught to individuals who are blind? Well, that's something we do. And again, with kind of progression, we want to learn a lot from our clients on where, where are they living? What are they going to be doing in the future? What kind of services are available in their home area? but also make them aware of different services that are aware or of, available in places like Indianapolis here. So we discussed using, you know, ride shared options such as Uber and Lyft to uh, access those to go to the store. Um, we talk about online grocery ordering, whether that's to take an Uber and pick up your groceries or that's have them delivered to your home. We also uh, talk, we do bus travel. So we, how would we plan a route? What, technology on our phones, on our smartphones, can we use to plan a route? What else, you know, who do we call to plan a route? Um, how do we do that online on the computer? How do we create a good shopping list? What is the typical layout of a grocery store? We talk about those types of things so that we're doing it with the most, we're not going crisscrossing across the store a lot, but we're kind of having a plan to go around the store instead of back and forth. And uh, we also teach utilizing a shopper's assistant at the grocery store and educate the clients on what the ADA laws are on access to um, brick and mortar stores and how we have as blind people equal access to shop in those stores. And it is uh, the law, that, including the ADA that says that they will provide an assistant shopper to help us in our shopping experience. You also touched on something very, very important. Dan, you talked about technology and I know I've been reading a lot about the white cane and how they're making advancements to the white cane and putting GPS and, MP3 players and all type of gadgets on the white cane. Talk about some of the apps and some of the technology that is available to help us maneuver safely through our environments. You can completely plan a route and the app will follow you and give you step-by-step -step moves to get you to your destination. They're not perfect. They may be off um, a few feet or even 50 or 60 feet, but it is another tool to help you get where you want to go by yourself. What's the name of that? Oh, there's a bunch of them, but the one we're using now is called Good Maps Outdoors. What do you use with your clients, Daniel? Yeah, I do a lot with the Good Maps. I really like, there's just different features on the app. Like Cynthia said, there's the GPS direction options that it gives you. But it also has a look around option where you just kind of turn your phone little by little and it will tell you what restaurants or businesses are located in the area close to where you're standing. Um, there's another app that I use called Lazarillo that has a really good good features on it where it can you can plan routes. It'll tell you different points of interest that are near you in the area. And it uses either its own internal GPS to give directions or it gives the option to switch over to Google Maps. Google Maps has the great options in it because it uses GPS to know where you are. You put in your destination and then you can choose, am I doing this as a pedestrian? Am I doing this on the bus or am I doing this as a driver? And so it gives you all those options right there in the app itself. Um, we also teach apps uh, like the transit app for 
planning bus trips and learning bus times. We really try to make sure clients are aware. I, I like teaching the transit app just because it's usable in all different areas. I've used it all over the U.S. and Canada, and it's worked great everywhere. So it's one that even if Indianapolis isn't their home, they can still use it in their hometown or when they go on vacation. Yeah, one, one other app that we got to talk about, we got to talk about Blind Square. Blind Square is definitely a great app. Uh, we definitely installed a Blind Square, and it's an indoor GPS system that we have here at Bosma. And it really helps individuals become more independent, self-efficient, learn the building very well. They can maneuver through the building, get lost if they want to. But, you know, with the help of Blind Square, they can always find themselves back to where they're mm-hmm. trying to go. So, yeah, that's another good app that we can use uh, to navigate the world around us. The one other app okay. I wanted to mention that we just learned about, um, and it's called OKO. And it is an app that you, it uses the camera on your phone. It's only for iPhone users. But if you're standing at an intersection and you point your camera across the street, so you still have to get your placement alignment um, to line the camera up. But when you point the camera across the street, it gives you a visual, auditory, and haptic information on when the crosswalk sign is on or off. Um, for most, you know, as we talked about crossing streets for blind people, it's out of listening to traffic. We've all been in intersections before where the street we need to hear go never has a car on it. And so it's hard to judge when is that crosswalk sign changing. And the OKO app, um, I've noticed has been really accurate um, as I've taken it out and shown clients. Um, but the other community it can be very helpful for is the deafblind community who doesn't have that auditory sense of uh, listening for that parallel surge, but they can use the haptic feedback on this app to knowing the crosswalk sign has turned on. I haven't checked that one out myself. And if you turn away from the walk sign, the walk icon, you'll lose your signal. So it it uh, encourages you to walk directly toward the walk sign. Check that one out. But then I want to talk to you about discovery cane technique. Um, as the only uh, mobility instructor here at Bosman who is actually blind himself, um, talk about how you teach individuals who are also blind how to travel, you know, independently with your discovery cane technique. Yeah, so the the methodology or teaching philosophy, if you will, that I uh, teach through is called structure discovery cane travel. And really what that is, it's a, it's a good balance of um, guided instruction, which is where I'm going to give you a cane. I'm going to tell you exactly how I want you to hold the cane how I want you to manipulate the cane and move it side to side, how I want you to walk with the cane and step. All that stuff is very guided. But what I try to do at the very beginning is encourage the client to know that they're in control and they're the decision maker. So I might ask to, hey, do you mind if I touch your hand to feel if you're manipulating the cane correctly? Eventually, I'm going to ask them questions, a lot of Socratic questionings of what are they feeling, what are they noticing? to assist them in recognizing when things are going right and when things are going wrong. So they develop that ability to self-monitor and self-correct. And so once I get away from that guided aspect of the teaching, then it becomes more discovery of, are they noticing when they're walking out of step? Are they noticing when their arc isn't wide enough or too wide? And it allows them to take that ownership and control of what they're doing to where there's not any, uh, not as much reliance on myself as the instructor, but on, themselves as the blind individual to maintain safety and independence as they're traveling. So it might be something where I go to an intersection with a client and we discuss intersection analysis of what should I hear? What am I listening for? What are the light cycles, traffic patterns, all those kinds of things 
And then we might stand there and they'll call out their crossing. So I'm using that discovery, the guided part of teaching, what are we hearing? Or to the discovery of what are they hearing? And then even further discovery of when would you just buy it without crossing, just call a crossing, say crossing when you would think it'd be your turn. And through that discovery process, it allows me to, to recognize, did the guided learning take place? Or does it think that I need to re review and go over again to assist them in understanding it? So it's a good balance of kind of bouncing back and forth between more strict guided learning to more discovery learning. I just wanted to learn more about how you did what you do. And I know you do a great job of what you do. So I just want to individuals should know that it is possible. And, and this is how we create jobs for people who are blind and visually impaired right here at Bosma. There's no job off limits, I believe. <laughs> it's, been, it's been really great for, I mean, just different clients has been able to share experience with them to, you know, if they're having a you know bad day with street crossing, just a bad day in general due to their blindness is something that I can relate to and talk to them about. And, um, you know, I think for some people it can be intimidating. We're talking about street crossing. We're talking about going to downtown Indianapolis and finding a specific address by yourself. Um, that can be intimidating. But I'd really try to encourage them to say, you know, this isn't, you know, this is something I truly believe in. I mean, when I when I'm crossing the street with my three year old and three month old, I'm using these same techniques to cross the street, and I trust them enough to trust it with my kids. So I'm def I'm, I'm teaching you something that's real and that actually works. Talk about how having good mobility skills equates to gainful employment. The confident traveler is going to be more likely to be uh, hired than someone who can't find his way around. That's the bottom line, Ray. Yeah, true, true. I mean, you have to know how to get back and forth to work. You have to be able to uh, utilize, to, you know, Uber. Go to all, the, all the centers, the bathroom, the, the mm -hmm. lunchroom, uh, the boss's office, wherever you need to go, you got to be able to do it. That's it. So that's what we teach you at Bosma, how to, how to navigate the world around you safely and independently at the end of the day. So is there anything else you would like people to know about individuals when we're walking, when we're out in the public, about how to interact with someone who is blind or visually impaired? Absolutely. Because sometimes people want to help you, but they don't know how to help you. So how, how do we well, inform individuals? Well, first of all, I'd like to talk about the driver, okay? If you are a driver and you are coming up to an intersection, uh, don't enter the intersection until you've looked for pedestrians. And if there is a, <clears throat> a pedestrian, especially with a white cane or a dog guide near you at the corner or coming to your corner, stay put and until they have completed their crossing. Uh, the biggest mistake that drivers make is they don't look for pedestrians when they come to an intersection. I am guilty. I do the same thing, but I have to remind myself, pedestrians really do have the right of way. The other mistake that drivers make is when they want to make a right turn, they won't look right to the corner that they're near. They'll look left to see if there's any traffic coming. You have to look left, of course, but you should establish, first of all, if there's someone on the corner that needs to cross and you need to give them the right of way. If there is a person with a cane or a dog guide that is going to cross where you want to go, do not try to go ahead of them that's really unfair and wait till they get all the way across before you cross the sidewalk 
because sounds to a blind person can be very scary. They may hear a vehicle moving and they may not be able to tell right away where it is and it's very unnerving. So just wait, be patient. Yeah, and I, I think just um, you really hit it well, Ray, when you said they want to help, they don't know how to help. I actually was out with a client this morning. We were using Uber to get to our training um, location and the driver said was very nice. And he said, hey, you know, I, if I can help, let me know. But I got yelled at once, so I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And we all had a good laugh about it. But I, you know, I said, you know, yeah, I'm sorry that you had that experience. And I try to be, you know, kind to people. Know they always have genuinely good intentions. But I think the best thing you can always do is if you see a blind person, I mean, one, just don't assume that they need help. They might not need any help. But if you wonder if they might need help, just simply ask that question. Just say, hey, how's it going? Can I help you with anything? Just engage them in conversation. Treat them like you would treat anybody else. They're, they're just another human being. They're not something to be scared of or anything like that. And if you're walking down the sidewalk and there's a blind person coming towards you, a simple hello or good morning or a grunt even just to let them know that you're there will allow them to know where you are so they can navigate around you. You don't always have to navigate around the blind person. The blind person is also able to move left and right and forwards and backwards, um, just like the sighted person, as long as they know they're there. Um, and if a blind person may touch your foot with their cane or something, that's their way of seeing. So I always tell my clients, I don't get upset for sighted people looking at my feet and seeing my shoes. And I think they'd much rather me touch my touch their foot with my cane to navigate around them than run through them with my body. So um, just know that it's it's okay to ask them if they need help, but never to assume someone needs help. And just a simple hello can go a long way in making an interaction much better. If they have accepted your help, you should let them tell you how. Yeah, don't grab their cane. Don't, don't grab, grab their, their arm. <laughs> they will show you how to be a sighted guide, or what we call a human guide, and they will help. That, that way you can help them navigate. There's one other thing that people can do to help blind pedestrians. If you're a property owner, the ADA says that you need to keep your trees and shrubs trimmed to 80 feet vertically and 48 feet horizontally. So it's like there's a, a clear and free tunnel for them to walk in. And if your bushes and shrubs are taken up the sidewalk, that is not a good thing. Definitely not for us tall individuals either. When them low hanging <laughs> branches, yeah, they poke you. Yeah, you don't want to get poked in the eye. Well, I'd like to thank you two for coming on the podcast today, uh, giving us all that great information about the white cane and how the white cane is utilized in the blind community and how it creates independence for people who are blind or visually impaired. And if they want to get more information about Bosma and our Center for Visionary Solutions, please visit us on the web at www.bosma.org. And definitely follow us on all social media platforms and make sure that you are subscribed to the Navigating Blindness podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud. And I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thanks, Ray.